Welcome to Birkbeck Voices, the monthly podcast about the latest news and research from Birkbeck, University of London. I'm Guy Collander. We start with the exciting announcement that the new president of Birkbeck is Baroness Joan Bakewell, the distinguished broadcaster, writer, campaigner and Labour peer. I'm here in the House of Lords to find out more about her plans as president and her reflections on higher education. Baroness Joan Bakewell, thank you very much for speaking to us about your new appointment. I'm delighted to do so. Firstly, what was your reaction upon hearing the news about your appointment as president of Birkbeck? I suppose, I have to say I was surprised, (laughs) and then I was really excited. And I've gone on being more and more excited, really, because I've slowly begun to appreciate the depth of what Birkbeck stands for. I've always known about it, and I've always admired its principles, and it chimes very much with my own. But learning of the, about the wealth of what Birkbeck has to offer is really impressive. So I remain excited. Marvellous. And what do you hope to achieve in your term as president? Well, I wait to see how I can uh, help in every way. I want to add to the huge reputation Birkbeck already has and build on that reputation and perhaps take it out into a broader world where it isn't so well known I'm a journalist and I know about the media and so on. So perhaps a few of those skills might be useful. I want to help very much in putting Birkbeck's um, offer at the feet of all the sorts of people who I know could benefit from it because its principles are so basic to what education can offer to people. And I'd like to spread that. I'd like to endorse all the strategies that are already in place, of course, and give them a higher profile when necessary. Um, I think it's very important to keep the pressure up on government on all sorts of issues, and this is a good place, the House of Lords is a good place to do it, so I certainly intend to be vocal on that issue. Yes, we'll definitely be returning to that. What is the role of Birkbeck as a specialist provider of part-time evening education in, in today's university sector? Well, it seems to me that Birkbeck is absolutely primarily well-placed to answer the needs of what is increasingly a very flexible workforce, um, a flexible student population, um, a multi-ethnic, multinational one. I mean, Birkbeck is absolutely at the hub of all those needs in a, in a way that many universities simply aren't. Um, and it's well-placed to address the increasing flexibility we'll see in a demographic, an ageing demographic, and in the increased globalisation, students coming from abroad and so on. So um, I'm really impressed and excited about the place that Birkbeck holds. And you're very familiar with Birkbeck, not least because of your friendship with Birkbeck's late president, the great Marxist historian, Professor Eric Hobsbawm. He was your supervisor when you were studying history at Cambridge. Could you tell us a bit about your memories of Eric Hobsbawm? Well, of course, we were all a good deal younger then. I suppose Eric must have been in his 30s. I was about 18. Um, He was tall and thin as he remained all his life. And he was an enormously focused and attentive teacher. He was passionate about history, really passionate, and passionate about ideas which sprang from a knowledge of history. And I was studying economic history in the 19th century and the growth of the trade union movement, which, of course, very much addressed the kind of interest that he had and, indeed, that were growing um, in my mind, too. So it was really a treat. I mean, these were the days of one-to-one supervisions in King's College. 
I was at Newnham and I trotted along and as it were sat at his feet but it, it wasn't a sense of the pupil adoring the teacher Eric was enormously forthcoming and very friendly and very amiable and would tell you if that was that's a good idea what do you what do you think we can do with that how can we take this idea or should we push it further and he was a really engaged teacher so it wasn't a surprise when I saw him years later and we we remember those days and of course I knew him till till his death and he was at Birkbeck since 1947 he really embodied Birkbeck's ideals um, right through from working as a lecturer to uh, latterly its president. Well, it answered all his political attitudes to what should um, be given and offered to people as of right, as citizens. And I share that absolutely. I mean, I, I absolutely grew up with that ethic in my own lifetime and my parents' aspiration to um, go along to the local mechanics institute, as it was called then, to study with the Workers' Educational Association, to improve themselves and also to enjoy... The, the opportunities that they hadn't had as young people who left school at 13. So my background chimed very much with what it was that Eric aspired to for all working class people. And also very much with the ideals of George Birkbeck, who established the London Mechanics Institute in 1823. That's right, it's an old-fashioned phrase, isn't it? It is, but it, it resonates is. in my lifetime. And in terms of broadening discussion and higher education in general... What are the benefits of studying at university today? Oh, it's, such an, it's such an issue close to my heart. Um, education is a way of growing up and growing and continuing to grow. It's one of the greatest benefits that being alive has to offer. I don't mean stilted, rote, boring learning. I'm talking about enlightening the human spirit. And, and that transforms who you are. It helps you to go on growing and fulfilling your own personality. Um, there is um, a great dichotomy of debate about is education for a vocation, so you can have a career, doctor, mm. architect, engineer, or is it for the good of learning, as some medieval abstract? I think it's both, and I think if you have either, they, they play to the other. If you want to learn for its own sake you will be better at what you do because you will be a more enlightened person with a richer, well-stocked mind. If you study to be an architect, you will grow to know through architecture the value of life and, and um, uh, humanity and the look of things and beauty, the nature of beauty and how it enhances communities. And so you will become civically responsible um, as an individual. So they play together. There isn't a contra contradiction, and nor is there a competition. The two must flow together, and then you have all the riches of education. And we have that full range of theoretical and, and practical subjects at Birkbeck, the arts, law, business, science. Right. You see, there's no reason to be stuffy about it. So business people are hard-headed and, and know about maths, and they don't understand art or beauty or poetry. That's not true. I mean, there's no reason, there's no rule that says they shouldn't. Um, there's no reason that actually um, people who love poetry shouldn't be pretty hard-headed about how you get books published, how their cost is, how many you need to sell. Why shouldn't they know about business? So I don't see that they're enemies, one or the other. And you certainly know a great deal about both sides, the, the art and the sort of business of art as well, through your, your novels, your newspaper columns, your broadcasting experience. Yes, and I was for 10 years the chair of the campaign, the National Campaign for the Arts, the NCA, which is a very strong lobby 
for arts organisations. And of course, all the arts organisations belonged. And I was very well aware of their financial dilemmas, their strategies for survival, as well as their artistic programmes and their ambitions and their vision of what they could do for the public at large, for their audiences, for schools particularly, for children, for older people. So all of that feeds into my knowledge that I bring to the service of Birkbeck. And universities are facing many threats at the moment, government cuts, higher tuition fees and falling applications. Institutions specialising in part-time studies such as Birkbeck are facing these challenges and more, specifically the difficulty of reaching um, prospective students who are hard to reach because they're not in schools and colleges. What action would you like to see from government to improve policies and the, the environment for part-time students? What I would like them to uh, address is how important this particular segment, and it's a, it's a vast segment, the people who haven't had opportunities to go to university is. I'd like to see greater appreciation of that, greater understanding of the problems of funding and recruiting and get them getting the message out. All that seems very important to me. And I think um, David Willits, who's the Minister for Universities, appreciates this. I'm well aware of his commitment to it and of his... Um, recent announcement that he wanted to let's see older people go to university people who've never had the chance well I'm sure he had Birkbeck in mind when he was making that general policy statement and you've referred to that in uh, in the garden in an interview at the weekend as well the, the benefits of yes, going to I did it study. seemed to me to play absolutely into Birkbeck's uh, arena that's where Birkbeck should be and we should tell everybody that we're there and we can answer their needs. It's going to have be a world in which people will be, want more flexible living. The time which my father lived through, in which you signed up for a job at 16 and stayed there till you retired, is, it's long gone, obviously. And since then, we've had people having um, portfolio careers, 10 years here, 10 years there, 10 years... And even that is now fragmenting. So we're going to have a much more diverse population and its behaviour. We're going to have people popping around from place to place, finding the place they love, travelling the world, seeing different opportunities, having different training at different stages in their life. And that is what Birkbeck is absolutely ready to address. We're re as ready as anyone can be to actually meet that need that's lying ahead of us. And I'm looking forward to that. And you've long campaigned for the rights and also shown the capabilities of older people. You appointed Voice of Older People in 2008 by Labour's Harriet Harman. Um, so this is a real passion of yours. It is. I, I, I grew very much aware when I was made the Voice of Older People. Of course, everyone wrote to me with their problems. I couldn't solve the problems, but I could sympathise with the problems and sometimes point them in the right direction to get a solution. But what I was aware of was many people being retired at the age of 50 you know, perfectly able um, at the peak of their working lives but for re-administration reasons were being pushed out and not knowing what to do with their lives with a lot to offer and you know it was a, it's a treacherous thing to throw someone on the scrap heap at 50 it really is and to be there to offer them positive later life experience rewarding and new blossoming is a really very privileged position to be in and given the economic crisis, it's not only a testing time for universities. You recently raised your concern in the House of Lords about the closure of public libraries. 
as well as universities, what else should the government be doing to support learning in our communities? Well, I do think it needs to, to speak up for the benefits of learning. And it's rewarding to people. It's even rewarding to their health. If you're really engrossed in study and enjoying something, what it does for your mind, you actually will be more alert. You may, if you're attending classes, you will be out and about. You will be socialising, you'll be meeting your peers. You will be healthier and happier. And so the government should recognise, and I think it's beginning to, the value that that offers into the economy in a hard-nosed way by making people's later life fruitful, healthy and productive rather than lonely and depressed. And we have too much of that today. So it's not just about qualifications, about much more. It's much more. It's about the whole spread of civic behaviour and how a community should treat its older people and treat all its citizens, in fact. And in the past, you've said you would quite like to have been an academic <laughs> and also, more recently, that you would love to start studying again. So can we expect to see you in the classroom at Birkbeck, either as a, a lecturer or a student? Well, I, when I was at Birkbeck and saw people pouring into the building, all rushing with beaming smiles on their face to get to lectures, and I thought, I wish I were one of them. Because there is something wonderful about sitting in a lecture with a wonderful uh, lecturer telling you things you didn't know and explaining why it's important and significant. And so perhaps, yes, perhaps you will. Good. Well, we look forward to it. Baroness Joan Bakewell, thank you very much for sharing your insights and we wish you all the best as President of Birkbeck and we look forward to seeing you at the college soon. I look forward to it very much. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. For more information about Birkbeck's news, events and courses, please visit www.bbk.ac.uk. Music